Well, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, this morning. Before we dive into Proverbs, though, I, I want to mention something, and that is next week, you don't want to miss, we have a special opportunity to hear from a guest speaker, a man named Celestin Musakura, who's the director of uh, the African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministry, uh, or ALARM. He is uh, going to talk with us about forgiveness and reconciliation. He has a very powerful testimony of forgiveness and reconciliation in his own life and in his family's life uh, related to the Rwandan genocide. He will be here next week. Pray for him. Currently, he is in Burundi, where there was a coup attempt this past week. So he's trying to get out of the country, but assuming that he can get out and get home, uh, we'll hear from him next week. So you will want to be here for that. We're going to talk this whole summer from the book of Proverbs, the great book of wisdom in the Old Testament. And so as I was thinking about wisdom this past week, it occurred to me that many movies that we see and many books that we read have characters who are full of wisdom. Our world loves the idea of wisdom. So let me just share a few of these characters this morning, some you'll be familiar with, and some of their deep wisdom uh, that they have to share with us. Uh, Some of you will recognize Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series. Dumbledore, a couple of his better sayings, takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies but just as much to stand up to our friends. Uh, Another one of his, those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Another wise man from the movies, uh, Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid series. Uh, His best wisdom is in the first of those movies. Don't bother watching even the third one at all. But Mr. Miyagi, a few of his sayings, never put passion in front of principle. Even if you win, you lose. Another one, ambition without knowledge is like a boat on dry land, right? Kind of makes you pause, makes you think, makes you wonder what he's saying. Uh, One more for you, Uh, Yoda from Star Wars, 900 years old, and he's gathered a whole lot of wisdom uh, in his 900 years. Do or do not, there is no try, right? So that makes you pause and think a little bit. Uh, Named must your fear be, before banish it you can. Uh, Now, he is 900 years old. He has a lot of wisdom, but he never learned English grammar, apparently. Uh, So he speaks backwards, but you got to name your fear before you can banish it. And uh, then one more, mind what you have learned to save you, it can, right? So uh, Yoda has all of these great, wise sayings. And as I thought about all of these characters this past week, you know, it occurred to me that a lot of times the wisdom of the world is incorrect. And yet, even in some of the incorrect wisdom... Uh, the world actually borrows its format from the book of Proverbs, all right? And here's what I mean. Uh, The book of Proverbs is filled with these sort of pithy sayings of wisdom that are short, that pack a punch, uh, that you have to pause for a moment and think about. That is the bulk of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is the great book in the Bible on the subject of wisdom. Most of us in this room know that wisdom is something we need. Uh, If you believe that you do not need wisdom, uh, you need it more than anybody else in the room. In fact, if you believe you don't need wisdom, you are what the Proverbs calls the fool. 
uh, which is one of the characters that recurs throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, Because everybody needs wisdom. Whether you're 90 years old or whether you are nine months old, everybody needs wisdom to know how to navigate life skillfully. If you're a college student, you are facing major decisions on a daily or weekly basis. You may be thinking about what you're going to major in or what career you're going to pursue. You may be even thinking about marriage and whom you're going to marry and how you want to pursue marriage. If you are a spouse or if you are an employee or if you are a family member, you need wisdom. You need wisdom to know how to navigate tricky relationships in your life or difficult situations at work or how to manage your money. And the proverb says a lot on those subjects. If you're a parent, you know You need wisdom to know how to lead and train and discipline your kids. Everybody in this room needs wisdom. That is what the book of Proverbs is designed by God to provide. And that's where we're going to spend our time this summer, is looking at this book of wisdom uh, to learn from some of the wisest men in history. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and we're going to dive into some information this morning about the book of Proverbs, and then we're also going to talk a bit about the concept of wisdom. So Proverbs 1, starting in verse 1, follow along with me. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's a summary of what the book of Proverbs is about. It is designed to teach us Wisdom. So what we're going to do this morning is uh, I'm going to provide just some overview information of the book about the author, about the content, a little bit about its structure, and then really the bulk of the morning we're going to look at what is wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? Because wisdom is more than just knowing things, right? In fact, Ryan alluded to that even just a moment ago as we were uh, in worship. He said, God, we want to know more than just uh, filling our minds with information. Instead, we want that information to permeate to our hearts and to move toward our hands and toward our feet so that we not only know stuff, but we engage our world with the practical skill that comes from God's wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. And so we're going to talk this morning about when I encounter wisdom in the Bible, how do I respond so I can be wiser rather than foolish? All right, so let's look a little bit at the book of Proverbs. We're going to start by talking about the author. Uh, The primary author of the book of Proverbs is King Solomon. Now, there are other authors in the book. Uh, There's some unnamed wise men between chapters 22 and 24. Uh, Toward the end of the book, there are some guys named Agur and Lemuel who wrote chapters 30 and 31. We don't really know a whole lot about them other than that they wrote parts of the book of Proverbs. Uh, But the primary author is Solomon, and right here in verse 1 it says that he is the son of David, and he was the king of Israel from 970 to 931 BC, about 40 years, Solomon was the king of Israel. Now if you know anything about Solomon, you know that Solomon is primarily known actually for his wisdom. 
In fact, uh, other than Jesus, he's the wisest person who ever lived. Uh, keep a finger in Proverbs, and I'm going to go over to 1 Kings chapter 4, if you've got your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. A little bit about Solomon. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Then Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. You may remember that early in his reign, God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, whatever you want, just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, what I really want is wisdom. And so God gave Solomon not only wisdom, but wealth. And so in 1 Kings 4, we see Solomon is the wisest person ever apart from Jesus. He's a scientist, he's a biologist, he's a botanist, he writes songs, he's a poet. Uh, Tells us all of these people that he's wiser than. Uh, Some of you may have seen the old movie Princess Bride where uh, the character Vecini, who has delusions of grandeur, he believes himself a genius. And what does he say? He goes, you've heard of Plato, Socrates. They go, yeah. He goes, morons, right? Compared to me. Uh, When you read 1 Kings 4, the author of 1 Kings says, Solomon, look at all these guys. You know, Ethan, He-Man, now we don't know much about these guys anymore because Solomon eclipsed them. He goes, look at all those guys. Solomon is even wiser than all of them. This is who wrote the book of Proverbs for the most part. Now, what's fascinating about Solomon, though, is that he's also a study in contrast. Despite having all of this wisdom, despite understanding the way of God, Solomon made some grave errors in his own life, particularly toward the end. He chose, against God's command, to marry many foreign women, to the point that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? Most of us would agree that one spouse is enough to test our wisdom for a lifetime, much less 700, much less 700 women who came from foreign tribes and ultimately led his heart and mind away from God. And what we see in the life of Solomon is that just possessing wisdom at a point in your life is not sufficient. And in fact, the book of Proverbs will tell us you have to continue to pursue wisdom, to seek wisdom, to chase after wisdom throughout the course of your life because wisdom is more, much more than just knowledge. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So Solomon is this study in contrast, but that's a huge part of the background of the book of Proverbs when we begin to dig into its content. That the very things Solomon even warns his son about are the things that he himself succumbed to later in life. When you look at the content of Proverbs, a few thoughts. All right, first of all, the content of Proverbs for the most part consists of these short, pithy statements like we talked about at the beginning. Statements that one writer said have shortness, sense, and salt. That's one way of saying, okay, they're very short. Solomon would have been great at Twitter uh, if they'd had Twitter in 900 BC because he knew how to encapsulate very deep thoughts into a very small space, a very small word count. And so they were short, but they made sense. You read them, you go, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And, And salt, meaning they pack a punch. 
They have a little bit of zip. But also it's important to remember as we look at Proverbs that these are statements of general truth. Uh, And what, what we mean by that is they are not universally applicable in all situations at all times. They're statements of general truth, but they are not promises or formulas for success. So one illustration would be Proverbs 12, 21. It says, no harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Now, that's a general principle, right? But all of us know that sometimes bad things do happen to righteous people. So you can't look at an individual proverb and say, you know what, no harm befalls the righteous. So as long as I'm doing the right stuff, nothing bad will ever happen to me. Because that would be a major misapplication of the proverbs. Instead, we look at it and we say, God has designed the world in such a way that in general, if you live according to God's purposes, your life will run smoothly, more smoothly than if you do not. Everybody has challenges. Everybody has problems. Everybody suffers. But there's a general principle that God has designed the world in a certain way that harm does not befall the righteous in the same way it does the wicked. All right? But that's not universally true. As we know, Christians suffer. Christians get persecuted. Okay? So these are statements of general truth. All right? The structure of the book of Proverbs is a little bit difficult to discern. It bounces around a lot in topic and even in format, but there is a basic structure that you can discern. There's a nine-chapter prologue, uh, which is about a third of the book, close to a third of the book, and that prologue just details the idea of wisdom versus foolishness. What does it look like to be wise? What does it look like to be foolish? There's a few characters that are going to pop up repeatedly in Proverbs that we'll talk about the wise person, the fool, the naive person, the mocker, all of these people. And so the first nine chapters are a prologue to talk through uh, all of those people. Then there are Solomonic Proverbs, which constitute close to 15 chapters of the book, chapters 10 through 22 and 25 to 29. Uh, The sayings of the wise are slightly longer. They're usually three or four verses between chapters 22 and 24. And then as we mentioned earlier, Agur and Lemuel uh, are chapters 30 and 31, the very end of the book. So Proverbs 31, that famous uh, chapter about uh, the uh, good wife, that is in the sayings of Agur and Lemuel at the end of the book. So that's just kind of an overview of the content. And again, the primary purpose of the book of Proverbs, like we talked about, is wisdom. And so we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about what is wisdom and how do we respond to wisdom. Uh, Because wisdom is ultimately this. It's a characteristic of God that he wants us to have. All right, the the primary Hebrew word for wisdom is this word hakam, which basically means skillful living. Hakam is used in a variety of different ways, and and you might be interested in some of these. In Exodus chapter 31, uh, the word is used of a man named Bezalel, who helped design and build the tabernacle. Bezalel was a silversmith and a goldsmith and a craftsman, and he could uh, weave linen together. And this word is used of Bezalel. He was skillful when it came to craftsmanship. Uh, The word is also used of King David in his political skill. In 1 Kings chapter 2, he was shrewd. He understood the right thing to do at the right time. Uh, Some of you may remember the old TV show from the 80s and 90s called MacGyver. Anybody remember MacGyver? Uh, MacGyver was a secret agent who always knew what to do at the right moment. So he would be trapped in a little warehouse and the world was on the verge of exploding or whatever, and he would fix it with a ball of twine and a duct tape, right, and an X-Acto knife. That was MacGyver. 
he always knew what to do with the materials he had on hand. That is skill. That is hakam. That is wisdom. And as you look through the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us wisdom is ultimately, it's this ability to apply God's truth correctly in the context of everyday life. So I look around at what is God's world like? Uh, What is God like? What does God's word say? What do people do and not do? And I take all of that information and I put it all together and I say, I know what to do given the times I live in, given the world that I live in, given the people around me, given God's word, I know what to do at the right moment. That is wisdom. It is, like I said, a characteristic of God. God founded the world, Proverbs says, through wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. By wisdom, the Lord laid the foundation of the earth. He established the heavens by understanding. In other words, God in his wisdom made the world to work according to certain principles. And what he wants you and me to do is to glean that wisdom from him so we can live in his world according to the way he made it, the way he wants us to live. Uh, Wisdom is most perfectly expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, the, the prophet prophesying the coming of the Messiah says this about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is this characteristic of God and his son Jesus. If you think about the life of Jesus, you think nobody's wiser than him. The things he said, the things he did, knowing who to heal at which time, knowing who needed hard words and who needed gracious words, knowing where to go and where to be. Jesus did it all perfectly. And Proverbs contains this type of wisdom from God for us to be able to live a life of wisdom. So sometimes that involves knowing the right thing to do in situations that are not always black and white. So a few examples. The the Bible tells us certainly to honor our parents. But I've, I've had college students ask, how do I honor my parents if my parents don't know the Lord and in fact are encouraging me not to follow God? What does it look like to honor parents who are disobedient to God, or who are abusive? What does it look like as a grown-up to honor my parents? Do I need to obey them at all times, or what is the line there? So understanding what does it look like in a very practical situation toward my parents or toward your parents to honor them when it's not always black and white. All right, another illustration. All of us know that the Scripture speaks repeatedly against greed and hoarding. Right? And yet Paul also told Timothy that anybody who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. And the Proverbs contains all kinds of exhortations about saving. So where is the line between greed and hoarding and being wise? Right? That is wisdom. Right? To understand how to act and how to respond when things aren't always black and white. A classic example comes from Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Listen to these verses. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, that he not be wise in his own eyes. Which is it? Do you answer a fool according to his folly, or do you not answer a fool according to his folly? Now, I don't think Solomon accidentally put those verses together. Those two verses, in and of themselves, require wisdom to know when to answer according to folly and when 
not to? In which situations? In fact, rabbis used to debate these verses endlessly to decide, when do I answer a fool according to his folly and when do I not? That is wisdom. And as you look through the book of Proverbs, there's a few characteristics of wisdom that weave their way through the book. The first primary characteristic is intellectual uh, knowledge, intellectual knowledge. Uh, In verse 2 and verse 5 and 6, you have these words for knowledge or for understanding. Wisdom does require you to study and know things. All right, so college students, being wise in the Lord doesn't mean that you abandon your studies at school. High school students, same thing, right? Wisdom requires you to understand God, to understand his word, to understand the world. If you look at Solomon, uh, Solomon didn't just know about the word of God, although he did know about the word of God, but it says he also knew about fish and animals and plants and trees and all of the world that God made. He understood money. He understood wealth. He understood kingdoms. He understood all of these things because all of the world is made by God. And so to have wisdom, it actually begins, Proverbs is going to say, by knowing stuff, by knowing truth about who God is. Christianity is anything but anti-knowledge. In fact, I I will never forget a professor of mine in seminary uh, reminding us that all of the great movements in the last couple hundred years in Christianity actually began in university settings or in educated settings. In fact, going all the way back to the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, that movements of God often begin with those who have studied and applied their minds to God's truth. We're never called to shut off our brains. So wisdom includes intellectual knowledge, but then beyond that, it also includes moral character. Chapter th- or Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Right? Righteousness is a life that is lived uh, in keeping with the way God arranged the world. It's fulfilling your obligations, my obligations before God. Justice is judging things according to God's standards rather than according to our own. And equity is what it sounds like. It's simply being fair. Being fair. Right? So righteousness, justice, and equity. So wisdom includes knowledge. Wisdom includes moral character. Knowledge without moral character leads us down the path of evil. Leads us down the path of hatred rather than love. You think about uh, the Nazi regime early in the 20th century. You had medical doctors who enriched their knowledge at the expense of human beings by performing human experiments on people, right? Giving people malaria, freezing them to death to see what would happen, subjecting them to mustard gas, sterilizing people, doing all sorts of terrible experiments in the name of intellectual knowledge without moral character. That is not wisdom. That's wickedness. And so wisdom includes knowledge. Wisdom includes moral character. Thirdly, wisdom includes discernment, the ability to discern the best option between two options. I was talking with a friend just this past week who was telling me she is headed to Paris in a week or so 
and was wondering what she should do in Paris. And so as we were having this conversation, you know, it occurred to me, this is a pretty good illustration of how wisdom plays out because knowledge would involve having a guidebook, right? You got a guidebook, you know uh, where the Louvre is, what street it may be on, you know where you're going to go to this museum, you know where the Eiffel Tower is, and that's knowledge. You understand what stuff is there and you understand maybe where it is. Moral character would be saying, while I am in France... I'm going to play by their rules, right? So uh, when my wife and I, a number of years ago, had the opportunity to go to Paris, my wife speaks French, actually, uh, really well. And so uh, she had been there once or twice as a tour guide. And so she gave me just, you know, here are some general principles. You don't want to be loud in a restaurant like we often are here. That's considered very rude, right? You walk into a store. Uh, in the United States, you walk into a store and often you try to avoid the shopkeeper, Right? You just want to go look at your stuff on your own. In, in France, apparently, if you don't walk in and say hello or bonjour, right? That's the one French word I know. Uh, you are considered rude, right? So moral character in that context would be saying, I'm going to play by their etiquette. I'm going to play by their rules. I'm going to follow their laws. I'm going to go to the appropriate places. Discernment is this. You say, I've got four days, and there's more things here than I can see in the four days that I'm here. So what is the best use of my limited time. That's discernment. Uh, Again, college students, when you think about discernment, it often comes in with your time. You have schoolwork, you have friends, you have extracurricular activities, you have church, you have your walk with God, you have all of these different things. How do you arrange your time so that you use it well? Uh, When I was in college, I struggled with that mightily, as many of us do. Right? So one semester I would really engage in extracurricular activities and my grades would slip. Another semester my grades might come up, but I would ignore all my friends right? or ignore the church or whatever it may be. Discernment would say, how do I balance my time? Or for all of us, how do I use my money in the ways that are the wisest, the best use of my time, my money, my limited resources? For parents, discernment is often the most difficult part of parenting and discipline, isn't it? How do I know when to give rewards for good behavior? How do I know when to enforce consequences for the wrong behavior? How do I know when a child needs to be punished and when a child needs to be shown grace? How do I discern what is the appropriate response in a difficult or sticky situation? That is discernment. I take what I know about God and his principles. I take the character that God is building into my life, and then I look at the individual situation and say, what would be the best way to approach this? And the fourth area of wisdom is practical skill. Practical skill. It's the idea that if I have knowledge, moral character, and discernment, what I really need next is just practice over a lifetime to be wise. Uh, All of my kids, when they have been small, have enjoyed dressing up like a doctor, right? So they'll put on a little lab coat and you know, maybe a little plastic stethoscope or something like that. And um, it's fun, right? But, but they would not reassure you if you needed surgery, would they? Uh, not only because they don't yet have knowledge, but they've never practiced, right? You would not be reassured if you were on the operating table about to receive open heart surgery and and you asked the surgeon, how many times have you been in a room or practiced or done this? And they said, well, none. I've, I read a book about it. You go, ooh, so I'm the first one and you're about to cut me open. 
right? Was it a good book? I hope it was a good book. I hope it was a helpful book with pictures, right? (laughs) Practical skill is where you take that knowledge, you take that character, you take that discernment, and you practice, and you practice as you walk with God throughout difficult situations, throughout good situations, throughout the ups and downs of life, and you learn, and you make mistakes at times, and you grow in wisdom. Right? I find it fascinating that uh, Luke mentions to us that even Jesus grew in wisdom as he grew in stature. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. You go, well, how is that even possible? Jesus is God. Yes, but Jesus is also 100% human. And wisdom involves this practical skill that comes from maturity, that comes from growth. And so how did Jesus grow in wisdom? Well, it wasn't that he lacked anything. It wasn't that he was sinful, but instead, through his maturing as a human being, he learned what it meant also to walk with God day by day in the practical experiences of life. So wisdom includes knowledge, moral character, discernment, practical skill. And that leads us then to the charge of Proverbs, what Proverbs is going to charge us with as we walk through it this summer. And there's a couple of things. First thing, Proverbs is going to continually ask us to consider who we are. And what I mean, and I mentioned this before, that uh, the book of Proverbs includes several characters that are going to pop up over and over throughout the book. Uh, The first one is the fool. Uh, The fool is the person, like I said, that does not believe they need any wisdom. If you cannot remember the last time that you adjusted course because somebody offered you advice or counsel, if you cannot remember the last time that you submitted to somebody's input in your life, you might be acting the fool. If your immediate response when somebody offers you input is always defensiveness to prove that your current path is correct, you might be the fool. I went back a number of years ago, after being in college ministry for several years, I had noticed that uh, some of our leaders and even some of those that were interns, we, uh, in the time I was the college pastor here, we had, I don't know, dozens of, of interns, most of them great. A few of them really struggled to lead well with humility. Same thing with student leaders. And I went back and I, I was just curious, are there any sort of patterns among those that really had a hard time that constantly were a struggle in ministry? And here's what I found, that almost invariably, I had written something down during the interview process like this. It said, it seems like a very gifted individual, but has a hard time listening to input and authority. That no matter how gifted, no matter how smart, no matter how moral you think you are, if you don't listen to input, Proverbs calls you a fool. And, and the sad thing is that at different times, all of us are that person. And so by highlighting the folly of those who won't listen to wisdom, Proverbs challenges us to be different and to pursue wisdom. Uh, so there's the fool. There's also the mocker or the scoffer. You'll see that pop up. Uh, the mocker goes one step beyond the fool. It's not just that the mocker won't listen. The mocker sits at the back of the room and laughs at wisdom and scoffs at wisdom. The mocker has advanced to a stage where not only will they not hear, they want to keep other people from hearing wisdom because misery loves company. And so Proverbs will push and say, are you that person? Are you the fool? 
Are you the mocker? Are you the naive? Right? Uh, the naive person is generally a blank slate as you read through Proverbs. Naive person is somebody that uh, they could become wise, but they could also become very unwise. Uh, they stand in between those two. And as Solomon writes, uh, what you're going to see is he views the son that he's writing to as a naive person. That you are young, you are naive, you have not yet lived, you have not yet matured, and what I want is for you to go from naive to being wise. And the way that you move there is by resisting foolishness and resisting mockery and instead listen to wisdom, seek out wisdom. In chapter 2, he's going to say wisdom stands in the street and calls out. And wisdom is personified, in fact, as a woman who stands in the street and she is in contrast in the first few chapters of Proverbs, to the adulterous and wicked and foolish woman who leads you astray. And Solomon will say, if you want to go from naive to wise, then you have to humble your heart before wisdom and listen. And then, of course, there's the wise person who already is wise but knows that he or she can get wiser. Knows that wisdom is a lifelong process says, I don't want to end my life in the way that Solomon drifted toward the end of his, but I want to continue to increase in wisdom, continue to increase in favor with God and men. I wish I could increase in stature anymore, but that's done, right? The wise person always grows in wisdom, right? And so Solomon lays out these characters, says, consider who you are, and then respond with submission. Verse 7 is probably the key verse in the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. When we talk about fear of the Lord, we're talking about approaching Him with an attitude of submission, with an appropriate reverence for the fact that He is God and knows more than we do. And so we're called to listen and submit to His wisdom, even when that wisdom comes through the mouth of one of his human servants. Uh, My grandfather was a judge during the last decade or so of his career in Oklahoma, and so I remember visiting his courtroom uh, with my brother at times. He would let us go to the courthouse, and uh, we were uh, typical little boys, and so we got in trouble at times in the courthouse. We played elevator tag and, uh, of course, told everybody whose grandkids we were, uh, much to his chagrin. Uh, We were noisy in his chambers, but I will say this, there was one place that we respected, and that was when we actually went into the courtroom, and you would walk in, and all of a sudden he went from grandfather to Judge Sade, and he had those robes on, and he sat down, and everybody in the courtroom stood up when he came in, sat down when he told them to sit, and they were quiet, and they were respectful, even if they didn't know him, even if they had no other reason to respect him besides the fact that he was the judge and had the authority in that position to make decisions that could affect the course of their lives. And so there was reverence and submission and a little bit of fear. And I've often thought, if that's how we respond to human authority, how much more ought we to respond that way to the God who founded the world in wisdom, who makes the most critical decisions for us and for the future of our universe, and who wants our best. 
And so Solomon says to his son, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to know wisdom, read his word. If you want to know wisdom, listen to his spirit's voice and listen to wise people who have walked with him. The beginning of wisdom is to know and fear the Lord. It may be that you're here this morning and you don't yet know him. The scripture says the way you begin to know him is by trust in his son Jesus who died for our sin and who rose again so that we can know him, so that we can be forgiven of our sin, so that the spirit of his wisdom can live inside of us rather than the folly that we all live in before we know him. And for those who do know him, the call of Proverbs is going to be to listen carefully to his voice. And as we walk through the Proverbs this summer, we're going to walk through a variety of topics the the Proverbs tackles. And I can almost guarantee you every week there's going to be a moment related to your money, related to your marriage, related to your thought life, related to your relationships, where you will feel the Spirit of God convicting you through His Word, and you and I will have a choice to pursue the path of wisdom or to bow up and believe our way is better and pursue the path of folly. So right at the beginning, Solomon says, you want to know wisdom, you want to know life. It begins with the fear of God. That's where we're going to be going in the book of Proverbs this summer. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. And we are convicted by the fact that we, we often do act like foolish people who believe our ways are better than yours. Forgive us and transform us. I pray that we would listen to your wisdom and obey. We thank you for this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you at the picnic.